Hey, welcome back, everybody. I'm Jeff Cross, your host of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR. And today we're joined by Ari Santiago, who's the CEO of IT Direct. And if you're wondering why that name sounds familiar, maybe because of his recent podcast, Made in America. Uh, so Ari, you got to check this podcast out. Ari's been at it a little longer than I have. Uh, and, and that podcast, Made in America, it's, it's taken off huge success in the manufacturing industry. And so, and uh, candidly, we've modeled uh, a lot of what we do here, Ari, on your podcast. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. I'm going to give you credit where it's due. We're really happy to have you here. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Jeff. I really appreciate it. It's fun to uh, be on the other side of the mic, as I'm it sure. were. Yeah. Um, so and uh, we don't manufacture anything, so I guess I'll never make it on your podcast. <laughs> well, you never know yeah. where it goes, but yeah, as it stands right now, Jeff, you're not making it on the Made in America with Ari Santiago podcast. <laughs> I can aspire to that. That's right. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know what? Let's just start off by chatting about IT Direct and, uh, you know, how'd you get, how'd you get the company started? Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a long, uh, winding story, but try and kind of cut to the chase for you. I mean, listen, it really kind of all dates back to when I was 13 years old. I was on a ski trip, uh, and I ended up uh, falling on some ice, was knocked unconscious, wear your helmets, kids, um, and slid into some snowmaking equipment, and I was left paralyzed. And that took me from a person who was like a four-season athlete, skiing, baseball, soccer, basketball, swimming. That's like more than four seasons worth of sports, but that's what I was doing, um, to somebody who was like, oh, shit, what am I going to do with my life now? And... Uh, I was just kind of lucky that my parents had a friend. This is back in 1991, so computers aren't as ubiquitous um, as they are today. Uh, and so, you know, most offices had like one or two computers, you know what I mean? It wasn't a, a big thing. But uh, this guy was an anesthesiologist and had a computer hobby and uh, heard that I was bored in the hospital while I was rehabbing and brought me a computer. This was before Windows, right? This is old school, like oh, yeah. MS-DOS stuff. And um, it turns out I had an aptitude for computers. And so kind of a long winding trail from there, I ended up starting my first computer business, which was building and selling computers when I was 14. Then I had another computer business that I started when I was 16, which was essentially a little bit of a precursor of IT Direct. Uh, A friend and I started a company called New Age Computing, and we used to go to small offices and help them with their computers. Uh, And then kind of through some twists and turns, I went to be a lawyer, didn't follow that through. Uh, I went back to technology and ultimately started IT Direct in 2002, um, really for two main reasons. One, um, I had a real passion for helping companies gain a competitive advantage by harnessing technology. And I thought there was a great market out there for small and mid-sized businesses to get some real outside help that could make that happen. And number two, I don't think I'm really employable by somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a pretty 13 years old, man. And, yeah. And and having to kind of think about, wow, now what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. That's, uh, uh heavy. That's heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, listen, I think, you know, obviously you can imagine, I, I think about that in, in that turn in my life all the time. And, yeah. you know, it's maybe it's a little bit cliche things happen for a reason, or maybe if you have the right attitude, you can turn, you know, lemon and lemons into lemonade or whatever. But I look back on my life and I have a hard time believing that my life would have been better if it didn't happen. Yeah. You know, it opened my eyes to this technology realm, which I, I don't think I had really looked at too much before that. Um, it ended up kind of because of the technology ended up kind of bringing me back to Connecticut. I ended up meeting my wife here. We have like two beautiful kids. I have a business that I'm super passionate about that makes a real impact in the world. So, uh, you know, everything really worked out. And um, so that's really kind of how I look at it. Yeah. And pretty, you know, within a year. So at age fourteen, yeah. you're basically starting your own your own business. Yeah. That that that's amazing. I, I'm I'm lucky, Jeff. You know, there's there's my my parents deserve all the credit for that. You know, we I grew up in a house that even though my mom was a, a dentist and my father was an attorney, um, you know, we were expected to pull our own weight. We never really got allowance. You know, all your normal house chores was like what I would call rent for being able to live there. And yeah. then if you wanted money, we had to do extra stuff. And, you know, even after my accident where you could imagine, you know, hard, easier now me being a parent to realize like how heartbreaking it must have been for them. You know, you have your vision of your kids. You have all these hopes and dreams. And obviously, there's a real tough spot for them to, to see me in. And I, I really don't envy the experience of them walking into the intensive care unit and seeing me all banged up. Like that must have been 
horrible for them. I don't remember that day. So uh, I don't, but you know, I, I can imagine that. And for them to have the fortitude and the strength for when I got home to be like, no, you're still not getting allowance. Like you need to figure out now with this new reality, what are you going to do to kind of be able to make spending money if you want it? And honestly, it was that impetus that caused me to take stock and realize that computers was maybe the only thing I could do. And so I did it. I mean, yeah. that was it. But they instilled in you a work ethic from, yeah. from an early age and then basically said that, that, you know, now you probably have to work a little bit harder yeah. after the accident. So, yeah. And listen, I'll just add one more thing, which is super yeah. interesting. So we used to, I mentioned sort of the rent, the chores around the house, yeah. you know, normal kid stuff, uh, maybe bringing your clothes down for the laundry, taking out the trash, yeah. setting the table, clearing the table, you know, that type of stuff. Well, that was difficult to do now uh, in my new reality. So, but they were not going to let me not have any chores. So what they made me do was I used to have to get all the bills that came in. I'd have to log them, balance their checkbook. I would process all the bills that we could pay. I'd write out the checks and I'd meet with them like every week or every other week. And we would decide what checks could go out the door. They would sign them and I'd put it in the mail. And so that's a kind of an interesting thing, but it honestly, it opened my eyes to so much. Number one, took a kid from West Hartford with two successful parents and put money to a reality, which was super interesting. Mm -hmm. And it helped me see like the day-to-day -day workings of like a checkbook and all that, which when you run a business later, turned out to be pretty handy. You got trained to run a business. Yeah, Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So that yeah. was a kind of a cool thing that they thought of to do. And uh, it, I think it's really had a positive impact on my life. Clearly. Yeah. Wow. What, what, what a story. So, so you started IT Direct. Sure. Uh, so eventually you got you got theirs. So obviously, you had to hit some bumps along the road, and you know, what, any. What, any stand out to you? And and what did you how did you overcome those bumps? Yeah, I mean, well, I'll just say this. I think when people ask about IT Direct, I talk about the two IT Directs. So for me, there was IT Direct that we started in 2002, or I started in 2002, and that IT Direct ran until about August of 2009. And the IT Direct that everyone knows now is really, I believe, started that fall in earnest, that fall of 2009. And what separates those two things primarily was my understanding of how to run and operate a business. You know, I, when I first started, um, I was fortunate uh, in some senses to, to have some success early, but I absolutely let that success go directly to my head. And I thought that I had it all figured out and I mapped out the trajectory in a spreadsheet. I was like, wow, if I can just replicate these first 18 months for the next 10 years, my business will be bigger than Microsoft. <laughs> um, that obviously did not happen. Um, and in part that, that that didn't happen because I was unwilling to really understand that I needed to have smarter people around me to help make the business grow. And, and I never set out to hire people that, that were not smart or anything like that. It was just, I didn't understand how to do it. I didn't understand how to empower people. I didn't understand how to create an environment where other people could really succeed and be themselves. Um, and so I was sort of self-sabotaging the business and we, we plateaued and we grew here and there, but you know, probably a story you may have seen a lot of times of just like a little bit forward, a little bit back, a little bit more forward. And so we pretty much got to four or five employees and we pretty much stayed four to six employees for, you know, that most of that period of time. And then it was really that realization, and I'll, I'll do a quick little plug for the Entrepreneurs Organization, uh, also known as EO, which really was an organization, it's a peer learning organization with other business owners that really helped me to learn the skills I needed and, and helped me see myself from the outside um, to know how to change. And I, I learned a lot, I implemented it, and the results speak for themselves. The company's grown 15 times the size it was you know, 10 years ago. Uh, our employee base is over 10 times the size. Um, I'm having a whole lot more fun doing a whole lot better for our clients. It's, it's, it's been a terrific run. Yeah. So, sounds like it. So you, you kind of got to the, the gist of it, which is you realized you, you needed a team yeah. behind you and, and, uh, that was going to help you grow the business. You couldn't do it yourself and you had to be very thoughtful about who you were going to, you know, using a good to great uh, um, analogy or, or, or tactic, get the right people on the bus. Yep. Right. So uh, I want to talk about that. And I believe if I'm not mistaken that you guys have pretty low turnover at, at it direct. Um, and when you have a new hire, you celebrate that. And, but, but what's the secret? Why, how, how do you get the low turn? How do you think of turnover and why is it low and how are you achieving that? Sure. So I, I think that's a great place to start, which is how to think about turnover. Yeah. So 
you know, I've resisted the idea of turnover in and of itself as a metric because ITRX's mission is to help our clients gain an advantage by harnessing technology. Keeping people around for a long time inherently is not necessarily the right move. Keeping the right people around is really what we measure. So we talk about basically involuntary turnover, meaning it was involuntary to us, but it had been voluntary to them. Um, people that we believe are the right fit for IT Direct that don't stay. That's the turnover that we measure. Uh, and by that measure, yeah, we are extremely successful. Um, and I think, how do we do that? Look, it, it starts with something that I became very passionate about as the company started to grow. I wanted to have a company that I would want to work at, even if I didn't own it. Mm. And so I started with that kind of framework in mind and that moved us a whole lot of a long way, but it, it also reminded me, I'm not sure if you've read the book, the platinum rule, but you know, there's the golden rule, treat other people the way you want to be treated. And the book, the platinum rule talks about the idea that actually you should treat other people the way they want to be treated. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I started off trying to build a company that was a place I wanted to work at, which was good for a while, but I don't want a companies of just me's. Um, so what I realized is we wanted to find a, build a company where everyone believed in what we believe in that was in alignment with our mission and our vision and our core values. Um, and that we built an environment that they wanted to stay at. Uh, and that's, listen, it's a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly struggle to keep doing that and resetting it, especially with a company that's growing the way we are every year. Right. Because, um, because there's diversity of, 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 of what people want and are expecting, right? So that's a big challenge. Huge challenge. And not only that, Jeff, but people's wants and needs and desires change. So, <laughs> you know, you got someone who starts with you and they're 28 years old and then at 30 something, they get married. Now their priorities change a little bit. Then they have a couple of kids, their work-life balance priorities change. Their kids get a little older, they maybe change back. So it's dynamic even when the people aren't even changing. And so when you're growing 20% a year and adding people, that just adds a whole other dynamic. So we've really had to invest a lot um, time, energy, and money to, to make that happen. Yeah. Like for, for example, like specifically, can, do you have examples sure. of some of those investments of time and money and energy that you put in? And, and, and put well, the first, the first investment is making it an actual priority, you know, a priority that gets talked about, not a priority that goes on a sign, but a priority gets talked about in quarterly, annual, or month, annual, quarterly, and monthly planning. It's something that you got to talk about at executive leadership or that we've talked about executive leadership that's made sense. And it, it being culture, am I? Yes, 100%. Okay. Culture, uh, well, it starts with recruiting. Okay. It's recruiting. It's then retention, which is like all about culture. Yeah. And then it's about growth. How do we grow the employees? You know? Yeah. And so it's, it's about making that a priority that gets talked about as part of planning. When you're talking about, you know, employee growth and revenue growth and new products, it's got to be in those conversations. Like that's how important it is. Um, and then you got to put some muscle behind it. And so muscle comes in the fact of hiring. So we have someone on our executive leadership who I think has been an early guest on your podcast. Yeah, our first. Uh, your first yeah, guest. Yeah. yeah John, John Pace. Pace yeah. And, you know, John started off with a role that was like part kind of operational and people building and finance. And as we've grown, we brought in kind of a director of finance and John's role is entirely on building human capital. It's about how do we make our teams most effective and being there to be someone that leaders can go to and say, I've got this issue with an employee. How do I deal with it? Excuse me. Employees can go to and bubble up problems they have. So opening those lines of communication, it's a big investment that we made mm -hmm. to make one of our top leaders in the organization solely focused on, you know, human capital development and growth. But I think it's an investment that's well, well, you know, well worth it. Um, and I, and I, I mean, I said this before, but I'll just, you know, kind of end with this and let you ask another question. You know, we do have some of the, you know, I'll call even cliche stuff like, you know, we have unlimited PTO. We have a, you know, a keg in the break room. You know, we have a, we have, we have, you know, a, uh, we have a, a masseuse come in once a month and do like massages for the office. You know, um, you know, we do a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, I, uh, Christmas or the day before Christmas, um, you know, John and I come in and cook breakfast for the whole office, you know, like, so we do stuff like that, fun events, you know, family outings and stuff. And that's all good. But I think at the end of the day, employees want to see that they have an opportunity to grow and develop. And so that we're trying to invest more and more in that. Yeah. You could, are we talking about what you, what you call uh, intentional culture? I, yeah. I think uh, on your, on your podcast, we've heard that. Yeah. And, so that, and what you're saying is it can't just be 
the keg in the fridge and the massages and stuff like that. There's got to be much more to the culture than that that, that, involved, that involves your employees' personal professional development. Absolutely. To me, that's got to be a big part of it. And I, when I, well, to back up one second, what, yeah. when I say intentional culture, what I mean by that and is the culture has to be something that's thought about and executed with a purpose because every company is going to have a culture no matter what. The question is, is the leadership of the company going to decide what that culture is and drive it? Or are they just going to let whatever happens happen? Yeah, the culture is going to be there. You know, it's, it's, that's inevitable, 100%. There's no place doesn't have a culture. It's just a matter of, is it an intentional culture that you're building and trying to nurture and develop for positive or just whatever happens, happens? And so when we talk about intentional culture, that's really goes back to what I said about it being part of your meeting rhythms, your yeah. planning, and that it has as much of a priority as facilities, as customer growth, as customer retention, like the same amount of attention gets played to that. Right, right. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point is if you, if you're not being very thoughtful about it and intentional about yeah. what kind of workplace you want to be creating here, it's going to create itself and it might not turn out so good. Yeah. And listen, one of the things that we've, I've talked about with some folks recently about why why there's a lot of turnover usually when there's an acquisition companies merge or anything like that. And a lot of times it's because the cultures don't match and you can't change a culture. I don't think without changing a lot of the people because what ends up happening is when the culture develops, at least is what I've seen when a culture develops, the people that you hire and stay are the people that naturally gravitate towards that culture. So if the culture develops to something you don't like or want, then you're going to end up with more and more people that are not what you want. And then when you go to change it, you've got to change all those people. And I think we could probably both agree that there's a lot of disruption when you start making yeah. a lot of personnel changes. Right. But, but it gets back to one of your earlier points where there is such a thing as well, I would call it, you know, a positive turn turnover. Oh yeah. I mean, you have to be willing to make those. Yeah. But that has to be hap but that has to be happening almost like you prune a garden, right? Like, if you have the most beautiful garden, but you don't tend to it, weeds are going to grow. It'll eventually crowd out things that you want and you're going to have a problem. So, I mean, that's an awkward analogy because I don't perceive anybody to be a weed. But what I was just, and I think we said this before, maybe the, the show started, you know, my view is it's not about good or bad people that don't work at IT Direct. It's just about, are they the right fit for IT Direct or not? And we can, interviews are tough, man, you know, and it's hard to get to know somebody. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's speed dating to a marriage. You know, and I think you're not going to push, you know, you keep pushing a bad marriage is probably not going to get better. You know, having kids never saved a marriage. Having more kids isn't going to save it more. Right. Um, <laughs> and so I think from my perspective, when we see that the person's not the right fit for IT Direct, the best thing to do is help them find somewhere else because they're going to prosper more and so will we. So that I totally uh, believe in and, and I think that's an important part of an intentional culture. Yeah. So, so Ari, you know, you talk a lot about you know, recruiting and, and hiring and hiring the right talent. So how, do you guys do anything on the recruiting side that's maybe a little bit different? Do you have some advice that you could give for, for HR professionals and, and companies that are struggling to recruit good, good talent? You know, I, I think, you know, what we've, I think, done that's been successful when it comes down to recruiting is really, A, be consistent at it. You know, like that's one thing that's really important. You know, I, I, you know, especially smaller organizations, I feel like they get really hot and then they get really cold and then they get really hot and then they get really cold. So you don't really have a pipeline of talent to pull on. And so then by the time you go to do it, you're kind of, I don't know, desperate's the right word, but you're maybe a little desperate to get somebody in. Your clients are upset. So I think starting early, being consistent in the way that you approach it, right? So whether we've been, I think, successful in using social media to kind of get the word out about IT Direct, so people come in and already know who we are and know about our culture, and that helps us to have the, the potential employees self-select a little bit, right? So we get emails, I get LinkedIn messages, we get emails all the time like, hey, I'd like to work there, um, which I think is super important. Um, you know, the other thing is we've realized that we're not uh, recruiting professionals. And so just much in the same way that we partnered and outsourced the HR we talked about, you know, we have a recruiting partner that we work with who we work with exclusively. So we develop a relationship, we meet with them regularly and really spend the time and effort to get to know them and they get to know us um, and put everyone kind of through that same 
a recruiting pipeline. That's a, a good tip. And then, you know, the other one is we use, we leverage the resources that we have. So we encourage the place that work for us who we like and love and want to stay here to repost our stuff on social so that their friends will see it and possibly go. And we pay what I would consider to be a pretty healthy recruiting bounty. If you find someone that works at IT Direct in any position, if they stay for six months, you get $5,000. Oh, wow. Um, wow. So that's a pretty big. That, that is pretty generous. That's yeah. a pretty big, uh, pretty big thing. But, you know, listen, if you, you know, everyone talks about it. HR professionals, I'm sure, talk about it. Recruiting people talk about it. Business consultants talk about it. The cost of employee turnover, the cost of filling a position. The challenge I find, and it's one of the mistakes I made previously as a business owner, is that cost doesn't show up on your P&L anywhere. Like the re-recruiting cost, there's no line that's like, oh, we lost Jeff and now we got to rehire and blah, 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 whatever. It, 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 it shows up in lack of efficiency and overwork and frustration and all that. And so I think we just realized we need to minimize that. So $5,000 to find a great person who's someone that already knows us, knows a referral. I mean, your best clients come from referrals. Your best employees can come from referrals. It's been super successful. We've paid a number of them. I don't regret one single dollar we've ever spent. In wow. fact, if you follow us on social, when they finally do it at the six months at our company-wide meeting, they get like one of those big giant checks. We present it. We take a picture. We put it on social. A lot of people post it over their desk so everyone sees it. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that is great. All, all great advice, actually. Yeah. There you go. So uh, as uh, the leader of your company, not, not just a leader, <laughs> right, uh, as well as being a community leader, what do you think makes – how do you think about leadership? What makes a good leader from your perspective? Man, that's an ever that's evolving. A loaded, that's a loaded question. Well, yeah, and so. it's also ever evolving. You know, if you asked Ari Santiago 10 years ago, you know, what he thought he was a leader and I heard what he said then, I probably would be very disappointed in myself. <laughs> um, but it's just, we learn, we live and we learn, right? So, um, you know, maybe it's like parenting, right? You hopefully get better at it as time goes by. Um, and uh, so, but I ultimately where I'm at right now is I believe the best leader is the one who looks to make those around them be the best they can be and have the most success that they can have. Mm. Um, and I was just talking to somebody in my company recently about leadership, you know, and I said, the five words you need to know to be a good leader are, how can I help you? Right. And, you know, how can I help you? And, so, and so that works sir, in every so, situation. So that's what we talk a lot here about servant leadership. Yeah. The book. I think. We, yeah. So we, we're, we're trying to serve the people we lead with, you know, make their life better and yeah. lift them up and right. that's going to lift the whole organization. Totally. And I think that, that, and again, just to go kind of full circle, that only works if we have the right people in the organization to begin with, you know, all the books you read about leadership and all the books you read about growth and, and all that stuff in my view, that's all predicated on having the right people to begin with. Even, even culture, like all of our cultural initiatives aren't going to work if we don't have all the people in the organization that basically believe in the same big picture vision, mm -hmm. you know, that, that to me, that's the underlying framework that has to be there. And it really starts in my mind with having a vision for the organization, a mission for the organization and core values that really mean something. Yeah, that were, you know, it's a kind of cliche to say core values that you hire and fire over, but they've got to be there. And I think one of the foundational things that IT Direct did right when we first started this transformation 10 or 11 years ago was we uncovered, which is an important way to say it, and we uncovered our core values. So the mission, I think, was always clear. I was very clear about that, but I think the values maybe weren't as clear. And I uncovered those, those core values we wrote them down, we explained them, and we live them, and we make them real. I mean, if you come to IT Direct, pretty much any meeting with three or more people, we read our mission and our core values, like going around the room. And it maybe feels a little cultish in the beginning, but the purpose is like- To start the meeting. Every meeting. Yep. Really? Yep. And so it's like- Do you have a lot of meetings? I mean, I don't know how do you measure a lot. There's, uh, there's a reasonable number of meetings. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, there's, you know, outside of one-on-ones, sure. I mean, there's like, there's like the, this team meeting, that team meeting. Do you have meeting, do you have meeting, stra do you have a strategy for meetings and, and how to make them effective? Do I have, I mean, I don't know if I have like a big picture strategy for meetings. Yeah. I mean, one thing I think is a big picture strategy for meetings that we try and implement is 
pruning our meetings. Yeah. Frequently going, do we still need that? Do we still need <laughs> that? Um, you know, changing them up, I find just the agenda up. Um, so this is an interesting question I probably should have thought about. But let me let me kind of back up and say I wasn't fair to you. I, I didn't really give you a heads up. That's okay. I don't yeah. mind. I, I like going off the hot take. Yeah. The I think for a meeting to be effective, there has to be an agenda. So I, I heard someone say once, no agenda, no attenda. Um, <laughs> and I think that that makes a lot of sense to me, right? If you're not going to put in the time to make an agenda, I ain't showing up to your meeting. Um, and then we do stuff in every meeting that's pretty common, right? So a lot of our meetings you'll find we start off, all these meetings start off with the core values, right? And how we do it, we call it. So we run through that. Then we pretty much, every meeting starts off with a one word open, which is what's one word to describe how you're feeling right now. And then there'll be the agenda. And then we end the meeting with um, one word close, which is how are you feeling? Feeling, not what are you thinking? How are you feeling? Happy, sad, anxious, angry, um, busy, exhausted, whatever, right? How are you feeling? Beginning and the end of the meeting. Then we do a meeting rating. You know, one is life training. 10 is like absolutely amazing. And so where do we fall in there? Um, and then we do a clear the air. So the, that rating is what people thought of the meeting, Correct. the effectiveness of the meeting. Correct. Okay. And then we do a clear the air, right? And so clear the air on the agenda, you'll see clear the air says, what's something that happened in this meeting that you were going to let go, but was going to gnaw at you. And let's clear the air on that now and yeah. get it out there. And so we had a meeting yesterday and um, I'll give you a perfect example, I, I, you know, to save everyone. Uh, I won't tell who it was, but I'm the one that had to clear. I felt that I cut somebody off in a meeting. They made a suggestion and I think I was a little too aggressive in feel my, in expressing the way I didn't think that suggestion was going to work in the situation. Yeah. And that's not super supportive, right? If I'm going to be a good leader, I want to get all the information on the table. So when it came down to clear the air, I apologized to that person publicly in front of everybody in the meeting. And I said, Hey, like, I'm not sure if you were upset about it, but I feel like I could have handled that much better. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. I love that. You know, I'm really glad I asked that question actually, because that was like two minutes of really great, <laughs> great, great ideas. Great Cause I've been thinking about meeting and meeting overload and having meetings that we could prune and maybe not even have and uh, how to run an effective meeting. So, so if your meeting's not getting a good rating, then right. you may be thinking, oh, right, right. Do and then you, so, everyone's responsibility to be honest. Right. So we do, we talk about that, like meeting training, participation training. That's another piece, right? Like, if you want to have effective employees, they need to be trained. They need to be trained on how we work here and, and, and what do we expect in, you know, to go back to your servant leadership, we have to allow to be a great leader. We have to allow the people we lead to hold us accountable for the things we say are important, you know, and we have to be open to that mm. and not, not be defensive, right. be open-minded. You know, that's why I keep saying to these leaders, like if you just use the phrase, how can I help you? When someone comes to you and they did something horribly wrong and you think in your mind you could have done it better, my advice to my leaders is shut your pie hole, <laughs> breathe, and then say, how can I help you? Mm. Think about how empowering that statement is to another leader. I'm not going to take over. I'm not going to tell you how to do it right. I'm not going to jump down your throat. I'm saying, how can I help you? Yeah. And if you get another leader or someone who, when you say, how can I help you, isn't giving good answers then that's when you might go to John Pace and be like, I think we have a problem. Might need to do some training here. And then you start to kind of go down the road if maybe it's not the right fit. Right. But I think that's so, I think for me has been a big eye opening um, thing. And I know we're on an HR podcast. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to quickly jump on that. I, I, I think some people confuse HR with culture. And to me, the HR function is a legal function. And often that can be at odds with culture. So the company, the, the, the people that tell me that I can't have a keg and here's the 10 list of reasons why that's, that's going to start putting me in a box where I'm not super comfortable with being able to have the intentional culture that I want. So I look at HR in a lot of ways, the same way I look at my lawyer, which is like, all right, keep me like inside the lanes here, but I'm going to make you mad. Yeah. You know, like you're going to be frustrated you're going to go home and tell your wife, oh man, let me tell you about my client, you know? Yeah. Um, but I want to, I don't want to be run by the book. I want to be run by what I think is right. And I so a lot of companies will, will, will just outsource HR. Yeah. Right. Because to, to that point, if you look at it as almost like a compliance job, yep. right. I do. Role, and, and not at all anything to do with culture. Yep. Do you, but do you have an, inter, an internal HR team or do you? No, do you, I mean, I mean, some people kind of refer to John and Lindsay 
as HR, I think they really cringe at that. I mean, you know, they, they talk about cultural leadership and, you know, building people, team building, team growth. That's how I think of them. Yeah. Um, and we have, yeah, we outsource like from a legal compliance HR thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, we, I mean, internally, right. We're dealing with, I mean, you know, we don't do pips or whatever people, you know, like that officially like that kind of thing, but you know, John and really handles that type of how do we help people grow in their career and, and correct their behavior if it needs to be corrected. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. He should probably talk about that. Um, but you know, when it comes down to like compliance, yeah, we have an outside organization that we work with to help us like with like the handbook and the, you know, right. yeah, that, that, that type of stuff. But I do look at it as a, as a compliance. It's important. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying, I think we don't be confused yeah. between culture and HR because yeah. HR without intentional culture isn't there and, and probably the, the other side is true. I personally would err on the more culture, less HR. I'm not sure that that's legally appropriate. Yeah. But. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for HR professionals listening, I mean, the, you know, maybe one thing to contemplate is to, do we sort of reinvent, uh, you know, m- maybe you could outsource those traditional sort of functional transactional things that HR traditionally does and make HR more about the cultural, uh, the, the leaders of culture in the organization. You know? I think that would be a tremendous, I think that'd be a, that'd be a tremendous, uh, yeah. that'd be a tremendous change. You yeah. know, I, I, and I think that would be well received by people in the, you know, in the workforce. Yeah, uh, I think so too. Back to leadership. Did you ever have a boss? <laughs> well, listen, uh, because I believe you started working my, for yourself at age at age fourteen. Well, I, I mean, listen. So I, I I did I did work for a summer at my dad's law firm. Well, he was Robinson and Cole, so it wasn't his law firm, oh. but at the law firm he worked at. Yeah. Um, I also uh, had a job at a alarm system sales company. That's a whole other story. I mean, yeah, I could go in that that place needed HR and culture. Um, and uh, I did when I came back to West Harbor for a period right before I started IT Direct. I I was the director of IT at another company. Um, that became IT Direct's first client. So I have had a boss in that traditional regard, Mm -hmm. but you know, I guess I'll say this when you have clients, you have tons of bosses. Mm -hmm. Um, and I look at them as all people that I, you know, that, that kind of, I'm looking to please and and drive value for, which is how I would look at a boss. And then I listen, I think that my job is to help everyone in the organization at IT Direct see opportunity and be better and get better. And so I believe they're all in some ways, you know, people that, that, would be sort of my bosses in some ways. Um, and so I have 65 of those too. So mm. I got lots of bosses, you know, and maybe <laughs> one at a, home too, Jeff. So yeah. I got lots and lots of bosses, Jeff. <laughs> Just one? Well, my daughter, right, wife, right. son. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably more than one. Yeah, exactly. Where I was going with that though is, uh, Ari is, um, did, did you ever have a mentor in terms of, of leadership and how to be a good leader? How did you, how did you kind of, Tons. Did you just feel your way through it? How did this no. happen for you to get to this point? Yeah, definitely not. feel Well, there's probably some feel your way through it. But no, I've been so lucky that I've had so many great uh, mentors. And I'll, I'll start with um, John Grunigan. Well, I probably should start with my parents, right? So we mm-hmm. talked about that. Yeah. And I think their leadership, my mom uh, was a dentist in private practice. So I was able to learn. I worked there um, for a while. So I, I learned a lot about business from that. My dad's a corporate attorney. And what I learned from him is a, is a ton, um, not the least of which is he went to Tufts. That's where my mom and my father met. He graduated chemical engineer, I want to say, and engineer. I'm pretty sure it was chemical engineer. And he went to work um, for, I think it was Texaco or whatever. He was a chemical engineer for a while. And meanwhile, my mom's in dental school. They uh, accidentally have two kids. Hmm. Um, so now he's a guy with two kids, a wife who's in dental school or maybe just graduating, and he decides... I am have no passion for this engineering thing. I think I want to go back to law school. Yeah. And rather than look at a situation and be like, oh, I missed my opportunity. I've got two kids. How are we going to do it? He put his mind to it. And my mom and said, we're going to make this happen. And so he went and got his JD MBA from UConn and really changed the whole course of his life to do something different. And so I don't know if he even knows this, but you look back and I remember going to his law school graduation, right? I was, you know, maybe seven or something. Um, and I re- so I remember that and you look back and know that story. And that to me was something where um, that allowed me when I was a junior in college to say, I have no interest in being a lawyer. I yeah. don't want to do this. I want to go back to technology. I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow what my passion is, what's going to make me 
what's going to make me right. And I think, look, that decision led me here. Right. And so, so huge props to my parents for everything there. So mentors there, my grandfather, my grandmother, big time mentors um, to me. Uh, I've also been really fortunate in business. I worked at consulting environmental engineers. I mentioned I was IT director there, the owner, uh, John Grunigan, who had started that company in the seventies. He really took me under his wing and I would invite him out to lunch and we'd go out for dinner. He used to, he introduced me to vodka gimlets. Um, what a great guy. And he really just, I would ask him a million questions and you know, here I'm some 22 year old whippersnapper, you know, um, and he's just like giving me whatever I want. And it was just wonderful. And when I started IT direct and convinced them to be a client, they were unbelievably supportive. Let me work out of their office. Like just, just really helped me to, to get this thing off the ground and encourage me. Um, he unfortunately uh, lost a, you know, was at Alzheimer's and passed away a couple of years ago, but he was a terrific, terrific guy. And then I've just had mentors all throughout. I mentioned EO, so many people in the entrepreneurs organization. I uh, first joined EO and I, I used, they have a website directory and I went on the website to look for other IT companies and I found two that were reasonably far away, Tennessee and, and Maryland. And, um, you know, I, one of them I noticed I'd been following online and stuff for a while and we had m mimicked some of their stuff, you know, imitation, the most sincere form of flattery. Yeah. And um, so I was like, oh my God, he's on there. And they, I tried to reach him and, you know, looks like they were 10 times our size or bigger, could never get through. So this EO website had his direct number on it. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to roll the dice on that. So I called, got his voicemail. I was like, all right. So I, you know, leave the message and Hey David, it's Ari Santiago, you know, um, EO of another company in Connecticut, similar, uh, EO, I'd love to talk to you. I'm like, this dude's never calling me back. It was less than 10 minutes. My phone rings, pick it up. And he's like, uh, Ari, I'm like, yeah, he's like, uh, it's David Eisner from data prize. How can I help you? So I talked to him. He's like, come on down. So me and Steve Sarig, my VP, we fly down there. He lined up all these people in his organization to talk to us for a day, took us out for dinner, opened his whole office to us. The, the folks in Tennessee did that as well. And they were just like, whatever you need. And they answered all of our questions and we learned so much from that. So anyway, I could go on and on, but so I've been you, so I, blessed. I wonder what, what, what do you think he, he got from that, right? Well, I'll tell you. I mean, we, when we left, I, I thanked him profusely, you know, and I said, what can I do for you? I, I think I maybe sent him a gift, like a bottle of booze or something, but he said, I don't need anything. He goes, you know, I've had a lot of people that have helped me over my career. And what you could do is someday some kid's going to ask you for his help, for your help. And you just got to pay it forward. Yeah. And I was like, all right. And, and Larry Bodie, you know, as another, as the other guy, same thing. And, you know, we stayed in touch and, you know, just that's how you build a network. And I think, you know, I went into it. Um, I asked, obviously, how can I bring you value? You know, um, and I, I, they asked me questions when I was there to kind of get my take on some things, but um, you know, it was good. And I'll tell you one quick story about this because it, it was very instructive. I remember, I was out to dinner with David or maybe it was the lunch before the dinner and um, we're talking and I'm asking him how he built this business. Now remind mind you, this is like 10, 12 times the size of my business. And I've flown to Maryland and I'm spending time to learn from this guy. Okay. So that's the backdrop. Yeah. And we're at lunch and he's telling me how he's done this. And I'm debating with him whether or not what he's telling me would actually work. And at some point I notice he's getting angry, but frustrated. Yeah. And I stopped talking and I said, David, and he goes, yeah. I said, I am so sorry said, I came all the way down here to learn from you. And here I am telling the person who's done it that what they've done isn't going to work. I'm going to shut up and listen to you for the rest of the lunch. And you get this big smile. And he's like, that's the smartest thing you've said all day. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, that, that just changed my you know, outlook. And so anyway, sorry for that long story. But, yeah, this, no. you know, I've been very fortunate to have these guys in my life and, and other people like them. I mean, I think leadership is a lot about listening more than talking, you know. Um, and so it's good that in the middle of that lunch, you, you really, you had that aha moment and pivoted. Thank God. Yeah. 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 Thank God. You know, that was, that was something young Ari yeah. didn't do well. Yeah. Young Ari would learn things and always thought that I would take what someone told me and I'd like re reverse engineer it, dissect it and like do it better. Mm. Um, what a huge crutch that was. Better thing is implement what they told me and then iterate much, much smarter way to do it. Right. Um, and, you know, this is another thing that relates back to culture, but it's anything in business. You know, we talk about this, like, is it safe to try? You know, people are going to come to me with ideas and I might think that I know a better way or whatever, but if you want to have leaders 
be leaders, I've got to empower them. I made a ton of mistakes. Mm. I've learned almost everything I learned in business, not because I knew how to do it right, because I did it wrong five different ways before I found the right way to do it most yeah. of the time. Um, every once in a while, I get lucky and do it right the first time. Celebrate that. But you know that. And so um, I got to give other leaders that same opportunity to, yeah. to make those mistakes. Or, or not only is it safe to try, but is it safe to fail? Right. Well, that's the safe to try. So it's the yeah. idea of, is this thing that Jeff wants to do, if it totally bombs, will it massively impact the business in a negative way, right? Like, um, right. I don't remember what book it was I read. I think it's actually Brave New Work. But they talk about sort of the waterline, which is like you had a boat, right? And a hole in the boat above the waterline, not great, but it ain't going to sink your boat. A hole in the boat below the waterline, that's a major problem. You're taking on water, you could sink the boat. Right. So safe to try, meaning, hey, listen, if it doesn't work, it ain't going to sink us. Let's right. make it. And most things, Jeff, are probably you know, safe to try. And culture is a great opportunity to do the safe to try. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of reasons not to do an axe throwing event with your office. Yeah. But it's but, safe to try. Yeah. You know? Yeah, we've, um, done, we've done that. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons <laughs> to not have a keg in the office, but there's ways you can make it safe to try. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of reasons not to let people bring their dogs to the office, but there's a way to do it that's safe to try. There's a lot of reasons that you don't want to allow unlimited PTO, but there's ways to make it safe to try. You know, like there, it's just about making it safe to try and then, and then iterating from there. Yeah. Just one more thought on, I asked you, you know, why he helped you. What, oh, did, he, sure. what did he get from that? And, and my, we, you and I talked a little bit before we started recording about what do we want to accomplish here yeah. from this podcast? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of got to the, the more uh, great companies that are, that, that there are uh, in your community, in the state, in the country, in the world with great leadership, it, it raises all of society. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we should want other companies, not just our own, but other companies to be successful. And I think kind of imparting, wisdom that idea of servant leadership it doesn't just have to be within your own oh yeah or organization and it benefits everybody um to, to share wisdom in that way yeah completely i mean that's that i agree with you 100 percent, and that's yeah. why i think it's important that business leadership in my mind is more than just being in your organization it's about being on boards and being on nonprofits and being in the community and doing things like this jeff you know investing your time and energy in this podcast to get information out there that's that's part of I think raising everything up and um, you know, if we look at sort of, not to take this thing hugely big picture, but if you just roll with me for a second, if you just look at the whole evolution of humanity, it's all about forward progress and we need to make forward progress together. We're not going to be better doing the same things we've always done. We're going to be trying new and, and different things and that's what I think moves the whole thing forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We can play a small part in that, it's kind of cool. Yeah, agreed, I love that. So how do you guys measure success? How do we measure success? I think we measure success in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but I would say for me, our core measure of success is, are we bringing on clients that are staying with us? And are we bringing on employees that are staying with us? Mm. I think if we're doing that, then the things we need to do to make those things happen is what's going to drive value. You know, clients don't stay if they're not getting value. So we focus on bringing that value. You know, I was just telling tell people all the time, actually, but I had this conversation yesterday with a prospective new client. And I was saying, you know, I, I think my business is pretty simple. All I have to do is find clients who believe what we believe and help them be successful and find employees who believe what we believe and help them be successful. Right. And if I can do that, everything else is just going to be amazing. Right. And so those are the big kind of metrics for success in my mind. So, so I, I guess maybe you call that relationship longevity, right? If you've got the, the, those longevity, those employees with longevity at the organization, clients that stay with you, do you actually measure that? Are you, oh, yeah. You, you are, sure. Right? I mean, client churn, employee churn, those yeah. are like big, big things that we keep an eye on and, you know, something that, you know, that we look at, which is just the same thing we talked about, you know, uh, what's the, you know, sort of what's the involuntary churn. We look at the same involuntary churn, you know, on the, on the client side, side you know, yeah. and on the, uh, it's been unbelievably low for, you know, the client side and, and that's something that we super appreciate and we work on. And by the way, the client success and the employee success is the same thing. 
if we focus on bringing in clients just because they're going to pay, that is not how we're going to build a long-term successful business. Just the same way that if you focus on hiring people and all you focus on is their skills and not the cultural fit, I think that's a recipe for, for or the, not the recipe for success yeah. as well. And so it's the same thing. It all starts with, you know, that beginning. And I've often talked in, inside my organization, IT Direct, about like golf. I mean, I don't play golf. Um, I never really did play golf. But, you know, you can kind of imagine when you're on the tee box, that first drive, making sure that the ball's right, that the club face is right, that the swing is right, that is going to be the biggest determining factor of whether or not you're going to be successful on that hole. And how you do that on every hole throughout the course is going to be the number one determining factor of how successful you're going to be on the course, right? Because if you whack that first ball behind you or cross through the woods or whatever, right into the hazard, you know, like you're already starting off way far behind. And the idea of trying to get a par, let alone a birdie. All right. So yeah, there you go. Um, is impossible. So to me, the same thing is true with clients and with employees, right? We invest so much time and money on, um, interview process on, you know, like one thing for a specific tactical thing, if we're going to bring on someone into a new team, we pick either the whole team or representatives of the team to do the interview, including people on our recruitment team, including leadership, everyone's on there. Right. And every single person, everyone has blackball, meaning one person says no, it's a no. Mm. And, you know, I mean, I remember a time last year where we really needed someone on one team, like we were just desperate. And there was someone that we wanted and one person was like, no. And we had a meeting and I'm not gonna lie. We were trying to convince them to turn to yes. Like not in like a aggressive way, but like, let's talk about this. Why is it a no, you know? And um, cause their no was more like, I'm not a hundred percent. Yes. I'm a little bit feeling it's not right. So I'm going with a no. And I, I, we were like, okay, we're sticking with that. I, I was so disappointed. I mean, yeah. I went home and talked to my wife about it. I was like, I can't believe we're not going to say yes. Like da, 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 da. A month later, we found someone who was a million times better. Uh, And we were trying to put like, maybe not square peg in a round hole, but like an ovalish peg in a round hole. Um, And that would have prevented us from finding the round peg who that, when we were looking that month was still happy where they were a month later, they were leaving where they were and boom, it, it worked out. And you know what I mean? So, I don't know if they all work out like that or not, but you know what I mean? And I think we really stuck to our guns and I'm so proud of us for doing that because it was one of the juniorish guys on the team or the newer guys, but we were like, we said, everybody has it. He has it. We're done. I mean, kudos to him for sticking totally. to that, to that intuition totally. that he had, right? Totally. Uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. And I, and I'm, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of us. I, yeah. and it, and it worked out. And I think that goes back to, that golf face, right? The, the, the club face and the ball and the, and the, all that, right. You got right club selection. I mean, not to get too, not to get too much into the links here, but you know what I'm saying? So um, I think that's super important. Yeah. Uh, lifelong Connecticut resident, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, your, your business is in Connecticut. It is. What are your thoughts on business in Connecticut? I think business in Connecticut is great. You know, I think we're, um, I think we're on a major upswing um, trying to ride that wave. And, um, be happy about it. You know, I, I look, I'm, I'm a big believer that you're, there's only two places to be part of the solution. You know, we're part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everywhere has its challenges. I'm not Pollyanna ish by any stretch of the imagination. I understand Connecticut has some challenges. We have some structural challenges um, related to decisions that were made, you know, when our grandparents were growing up. Um, and those are problems that are real. You know, when you have a huge part of your um, of your budgets, both town and uh, state budgets that are taken up by commitments that were made and lack of pension funding that was done long, long time ago so that, I don't know what it is, 35 cents of every dollar or 40 cents of every dollar is going to pay for things that we got a long time ago versus what we're getting today. That's a huge problem. Mm. Um, so I get that and we're going to have to be creative in, in ways to address it. Um, but I really do believe that Connecticut has some very wonderful strengths that bode very well for it uh, in the future. We've got a lot of great things that are happening, obviously, uh, aerospace manufacturing, defense manufacturing, manufacturing in general um, is, is doing really great. Uh, there's big bets on Connecticut also in you know insurance and fintech that I think are, are paying off. 
big corporate leadership that's investing uh, in those areas. Uh, Cigna, Stanley Black & Decker is doing a tremendous, tremendous job. Um, you know, CVS keeping Aetna here uh, and believing in Hartford in that way. Um, you know, there's just other uh, kind of corporates making some, some moves here and a lot of small businesses and young people. So I'm, I'm talking to a lot of business owners. I'm, I'm out in the community a lot and there's a palpable, you know, growth of energy. I think um, Luke Bronin's doing a tremendous job in Hartford and I think we've for too long haven't invested, you know, in our cities uh, and we need to do that. Uh, New Haven, Stanford, Danbury, Hartford, Waterbury. We need those uh, things to grow. So I think there's a lot of opportunity and, um, you know, um, yeah, so Connecticut, I think, suffered from some macro trends like the move back to cities when we benefited, right, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s from the move away from cities in the 90s and, you know, the aughts and now were the reverse of that, right? So, um, yeah, so I think that's going to be what it's going to be, but there's a lot of positives, man. And, yeah. uh, you know, I see a lot of companies doing tremendously well and, uh, you know, we're one of them and um, that's what we're focused on and building the positive and talking about the strengths. You're uh, you're made in America is your podcast, yes. right? Yeah, uh, and so you're you're made in America with Ari Santiago because there was another made in America, but yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, thanks for clarifying. We want people yep. to go look look for it and yep. listen. And uh, but it's it's manufacturing. Obviously, as the name sure. implies, you're talking to, to, manufacturers. to manufacturers, right? Yeah. All Connecticut. Yeah. yeah. So we called it Made in America because you know we have dreams and aspirations. Mm -hmm. um, but it's 100% Connecticut focused right now. And all of our guests have been, you know, Connecticut focused. And, and that's kind of where we're at with it. Yeah. But you would like to expand it. And take well, I mean, it, I mean, it. not like in a year or whatever, but I right. mean, you know, we, I mean, IT Direct's mission is to bring the value we provide mm. um, to our clients nationwide. So we would imagine that the podcast would probably also do that. And so uh, speaking with these manufacturers in the state of Connecticut, is that where you get some of that optimism? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that, you know, going out, I mean, how the podcast started really quickly is um, that I've been a very vocal person about being positive. And I've been very vocal with some of the business organizations and people in the community who want to harp on the negatives, which I think is not helpful. And so eventually, you know, conversations came down to like, well, Ari, if you think it's so easy to find great news, why don't you go do it? And so I said, okay, I will. <laughs> and so uh, we decided to go do that and talk to people. And uh, I love manufacturing. I've always been very romantic about it. I grew up in Connecticut, seeing it everywhere. Har IT Direct was born in Parkville, which was the home of Royal Wood and uh, Underwood Typewriter, uh, the Pope Bicycle, the Pope Motor Car, all kinds of manufacturing over there. So, I mean, I would drive from my apartment. My IT Direct's first office outside of my apartment was uh, in an old manufacturing building that had been converted to offices. So right across from the old Royal Typewriter factory. So this was like, you know, just in there. So when we went to do it. I was like, we had a lot of manufacturing clients. So I thought this is perfect. Um, and that's what we started doing. And then we've been out there talking to them and it's just the amount of growth and positivity. And um, yeah, it's just awesome. I, I think that's really great to hear. And I think a lot of people listening will, will be maybe, you know, pleasantly surprised uh, to hear that manufacturer manufacturing really is thriving. And there's a lot of optimism out there in the manufacturing community within this state. Yeah, tons. Um, and I, you know, I mean, it even goes back to, I was super fortunate again through the Entrepreneurs Organization. I had a meeting uh, with the CEO of United Technologies. It was like 12 of us, which is kind of a cool thing. Yeah. And I remember this was a few years ago and I remember him talking about how like aerospace was just going to explode because not, not so much just on the military side, although that's a, but it's a small portion, but just on the commercial side because the U.S. fleet was getting old, so that needed to turn over. And the growth of the middle class internationally in places like India, China, Southeast Asia in general, um, and just everywhere was giving them disposable income to travel. And so the amount of air travel that was going to be had was just going to be going through the roof. And I think we're now seeing that come into fruition. I think there's a huge runway of positivity over the next decade, decade and a half, at least of this tremendous growth. And Connecticut has a competitive advantage when mm. it comes to um, you know, aerospace, aerospace and aerospace yeah. building and obviously United Technologies, but, you know, and Pratt and Whitney specifically, but just all the supply base from GE and Rolls Royce and all that. I mean, you know, Connecticut, obviously that's fixed wing or, or jet engines, but also, you know, uh, propeller, you know, from Sikorsky and command and, and other stuff. And, then and all course, the component parts that go in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's right? what I'm saying. Yeah, and all yeah. those, but the, then the supply base that, that yeah, services right. all that, that's really where a huge amount of the growth is. And then you've got 
you know, the changeover in the submarine industry and the sub building that's going on in Groton, these tens of thousands of jobs. And then the supplier base um, is huge. And Connecticut, I think, is positioned well. I was shocked to find out that Connecticut only represents about 10 or 15 percent or thereabouts of the supplier base revenue that comes out of electric boat. That says to me, just from proximity, there's a huge opportunity right. to grow that. Even if we only grow it to 20%, that's tripling, or that's a, a 30% increase um, in the supply revenue of the stream, and the stream itself is growing. There's just so much opportunity there, and it's not just that. I mean, there's people in in plastics, uh, people in you know um, you know catches, latches, and handles in automotive. Um, there's just so much going on in Connecticut, and through initiatives using technology, uh, you know, lean, Kaizen, now we're going into some non-HR stuff, but a lot of stuff that's, I think, uh, really powerful. And that's, you know, the more, to quote uh, Marty Gway from uh, Stanley Black and Decker, the more that manufacturing has moved towards brain power and away from raw muscle power, the more Connecticut is advantageous. And that's why there's been people on the Made in America podcast and more to come talking about reshoring uh, stuff from China back to the U.S. We had a guy on last week who actually sells into China. Um, and I mean, who would have thought, actually this week's episode, who would have thought that a chemical plant in Wallingford, Connecticut is producing a product that's getting sold into China. Yeah. Um, and it's all about innovation and, and pushing that part of it. And I think, um, you know, that same thing applies in culture and HR being innovative and, and pushing that stuff. Great. All right. So did we miss anything? What else do you want to talk about? This is your show, man. <laughs> How did I do? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm here to bring value for your audience. I don't know. Um, I feel like maybe, what, what is it you do at the end of every every uh, meeting that you have? Where oh, the rapid fire the, questions? Yeah, well, no, we're going to do that. Oh, we, you have we, the rapid we, fire. We stole that from you. But when you oh, have sure. a meeting, you ask everybody to, to give an emotion. The, oh, how, what's how, a how one word close? Yeah, how, how they're feeling about it. What's a one how, word close? How are you close? feeling right now? It's my one word close is, yeah, how am I feeling? I'm feeling energized. I'm feeling energized. I'm feeling optimistic. Ooh, yeah. that's a good one. Awesome, um, man. If you, right, want to so use, if you want to use that, by the way, I have a list of emotions, a sheet that has emotions that you can oh, really? give to people to help. Yeah. In case we don't know what our emotion well, is. You know, sometimes it's hard. When you look at them, you can connect a lot better. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah. I'll give you a few extra seconds on that. Yeah, oh, we do something similar here sometimes where we do a, a, like a temp check. How are you feeling? One to ten, one horrible, ten bad, and maybe have a word associated with it. So, but what's know, fun maybe, in meetings is you'll have someone come in and be like frustrated. Yeah, and then at the end they'll say better, or yeah. relaxed, or you know what I mean. Um, so, anyway. so that then you know it was a successful meeting. Well, not necessarily. I mean, anyway. it may or may not. Yeah. Right, or someone leave. If someone's one word closes frustrated, then if you're the leader of that meeting, you might be like, you know. Hey Jeff, can we, yeah. can we chat? Or maybe I don't do that to make you embarrassed, but maybe I come over to you afterwards and I'm like, hey buddy, you got to take a walk for a minute, you yeah. know? And just as a leader, right? Yeah. How can I help you? Yeah. Yeah. How can I help you be less frustrated? Care. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, that's the other thing I was, one of my favorite quotes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. And I think that's a super powerful, yeah. you know, thing, right? And I think as leaders, it's super important that we remember that and we show them how much we care all the time. I have a feeling people listening to this episode will, will do a lot of sort of rewinding because there's a lot of these great little tidbits like, <laughs> Oh, Oh, I, I need to write that down. And that was, that was one of them. I guess we should end on that, but we sure. did steal the whole rapid fire idea from you. Bring it. Yep. I'm so, excited. So you, you know, Red is Sox is the about. first one. <laughs> oh, good. All right. I'm going to have you back then if you're a Red Sox fan. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Favorite band? Ooh, that's, I am a big time music lover. Favorite band is like asking a movie connoisseur, like who his favorite movie is. Cause I think it a little bit depends on my mood. On genre. Yeah. Um, I mean, my goodness. If you could only listen to one band for the rest of your life. Who would it be? Grateful Dead. All right. I wasn't expecting that, but that's good. If you had one superpower, what would, it, what would it be? The ability to read people's minds. If you weren't doing what you do now, what would you be doing? Well, can I do anything that I want to do? Yeah. Or yeah. Um, I would, um, I would have loved to been like the lead singer 
slash guitarist in a rock and roll band, hmm. specifically Led Zeppelin. Oh, but you didn't pick Led Zeppelin as your favorite band. Well, you said, what if I had to listen to one music? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, you know what I mean? If you were like, what's the number one concert you would have wanted to go to? I would have said Led Zeppelin, Madison Square Garden, 1977. But that's not what you asked me. So uh, if I had to listen to one band for the rest of my life, Grateful Dead is what I would have chosen. But um, but yeah, I think if I could do anything, that was it. I mean, man, playing for the Boston Red Sox is is pretty high up there. And uh, President of the United States would also be... Well, there's still hope for that. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, we'll see. Uh, finally, last one. Uh, our theme at One Digital this year is to, to be bold. So we're, we're mm-hmm. trying to be bold. What does being bold mean to you? You know, I think it kind of goes, but just off the cuff, what I would say is I think being bold goes back to what we talked about with safe to try. You know, being bold is really about empowering the leaders at One Digital or in your organization to allow them to take the take the organization in places that, other people may not have thought of give them the opportunity to say, Hey, you know something when you want to say no, find a reason to say yes. You know, I think that's something I'm trying to do at it direct too, is say, you know what? Someone tells you they want to do something. It's easy to find a million reasons. No, why don't you try and find a way to say yes. What's a way we can make that idea safe to try so that people are encouraged to innovate and try new things. And I think to me, that's all about what being bold is. Awesome. All right, Ari, thanks so much. This was a, a fun welcome. episode to record, and I think it's going to be a, a popular one for folks to listen to. So really enjoyed having you here. Uh, and I, I, I want to thank everybody who's listening and who listens to this episode as well for, for supporting us. Uh, a lot of great stuff to hear today. If you like this episode, got to leave a review. Please. Okay. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to know when the next episode drops. And thanks again for tuning in, everybody. This has been yet another episode of Friends with Employee Benefits and HR.